welcome to the sermon podcast of Orchardville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrchardvilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. I think you said, what, about a year and a half last time you had a chance to sing? What a blessing. So glad you were able to sing today. Thank you uh, for that. What a wonderful job. And thank you, Brother Jack, for, for leading us today in worship. I, um, I did uh, forget to mention an announcement, but uh, if you're on the building committee, uh, there needs to be a brief meeting in the sitting room right after church. It'll be about five minutes uh, Brother Curtis has got some information to to give you, but that'll be in the sitting room right after church for about five minutes right after church. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask you, church, to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We are, Lord willing, going to finish up the book of Corinthians. We've been in this book now for about 14 months, walking through it verse by verse, and now we have come to the final section here of 1 Corinthians 16. And today we'll be picking up in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. And I will ask if you are willing and able, please stand with your Bibles open in honor and in reverence of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that he is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus and Fortunaeus and Acacius, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, a salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you today that we have this opportunity to worship your majesty, your greatness, what you have done, who you are, and what you're going to do. I'm so glad, God, that that you, Lord, uh, call us when we begin to wander away from you, God. I'm thankful that, God, you you are concerned about us. I'm thankful that we can cast our cares and concerns upon you, but that, God, you are concerned about us. We're so thankful that, Lord, no matter what we go through as a child of God, no matter how difficult the trial may be, 
Uh, you have promised to be right there with us through it. And Lord, you have not promised to remove those trials nor those heartaches, but you have promised to be right there with us to give us strength in order to endure. And God, I pray today that as we have come to this section of scripture, that Lord, you would move mightily in our presence, that none of us would leave here the way we came here, but Lord, different and more like you, Lord Jesus. As we read the words and we preach on these words, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to teach us, to convict us, Lord, and to empower us to carry out what your word says. I ask God today, again, that you would save any that may be lost. May your Holy Spirit convict them and show them they need you today. God, I pray for every believer that, again, we be more convicted to be more like you, God. Oh, God, do a work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Last week, church, we talked about how Paul, at the end of this letter, was giving sort of his traveling plans and his plans for the future and how, in doing so, we really got some insights on how he saw ministry and how he viewed it. And and I believe as he continues on in this letter, we continue to see some of those insights as he closes this letter. And, And the first thing I want you to notice that he says in the text that we just read in verses 13 and 14 is that there's some principles that we can live by, some principles uh, that that the church needs to have and live by. Notice he says here, there's five of them here. First, he says to watch. As he's writing to the church, he tells them to watch. That means to be aware or to be awake spiritually. Now, uh, we could make plenty of jokes today about people falling asleep this morning when I preach, because it may happen. Matter of fact, I had to have a discussion with somebody earlier who was yawning just by me greeting them this morning. Okay, So I can only imagine what it's going to be like in 10 minutes. But anyway, well, we need to be spiritually awake, okay, watching and observing what's going on. As a child of God, we need to understand that our society is not getting closer to Jesus. It's getting further away from Jesus. And that's one thing we should expect, but what we also need to be aware of is that even in the church, people are, again, not being aware of false teaching that is slipping in here and there in different places. Uh, Jesus warned his disciples to be watchful, to be awake, and, and, and again, to watch. And as believers, we need to be aware spiritually of what's going on. And again, as we stay in the Word of God and we stick close to the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll help us to be aware, we'll be more sensitive to sin and false teaching and other things. Because if there was ever a problem that the church at Corinth had, was people having spiritual discernment. And as Paul has had to go and says more to this church than any other church about how to conduct worship and what they were doing. So they needed to watch, they needed to be aware, awake spiritually. But then secondly, they need to stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. That means to hold one's ground and not move away from what is right and what is wrong in the Word of God. Again, this does not mean that we hold to our principles above everything else. When I say principles, our preferences, uh, let me read our preferences, uh, uh, those things can can change with time. But when it comes to what the Word of God says, uh, we need to stand fast in the faith. We can't monkey around with the gospel message. We can't monkey around with what God has said is truth. And what is a lie? Because, oh, by the way, here's a little insight for you. If it's the truth, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not the truth. Amen. So we need to hold fast and not, and not back away. We have 
churches and denominations that are made up of individuals who, again, are not holding fast to the faith because society is telling them they're too closed-minded. I've got news for you. It is biblically impossible that you be faithful to Christ and not be closed-minded. It's impossible. Jesus said there's only one way to heaven. Only one. There's not multiple. There's only one way uh, to be saved. There's only one way. God, he is not schizophrenic. He's not changing his mind. Uh, God is very clear. So we hold fast to the faith. But then secondly, we're to be brave. That means to be courageous to do what needs to be done. I was studying this particular phrase and one, one uh, translator said you need a man up or a woman up is what it means. It means to do what needs to be done. We need to have courage to stand up for what the Bible says, what the gospel says. Uh, too many times we, we cower away. Uh, I, I'm in the same boat you're in. I would venture to say that every single person in this room, if you're a child of God, at one time or another, you chickened out from sharing your faith. At one time or another, you, you chickened out. At one time or another, you were worried about what that other person would think or say about you, and you didn't do it. What it might cost you. I heard a powerful sermon here recently about that, and he said, you know, it, 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 we shouldn't be worried about us. We ought to be worried about Jesus Christ's reputation instead of our own. But that's another sermon. The point of the matter is we, we tend to, to back away or we get scared. But as believers, we are to be brave. We are to, to be the people that God's called us to be. He's called us to be a light to this world. He's called us to be radically different than this world. Not to be just like the world. And he's challenging the church at Corinth who lived in a very secular, a very uh, demonic environment there in Corinth. And he's challenging them, listen, you got to stand firm. And then he says to be strong. That means to be powerful or above average or what's expected in strength. Now here he's not talking about pumping iron. He's not talking about, he's talking about spiritual strength. How do we get strong spiritually in the Lord? That's by having a close walk with Jesus. Again, I've heard that if you want to get big muscles, you've got to go to the gym a whole lot. That's that's what I've heard. I hadn't done it. I can't tell you for sure. But anyway, if you want a close walk with God, you want to be strong in the Lord, it will not happen if you don't get in this book on a regular basis. It's just not going to happen. You can think it'll happen. You can pray it'll happen, but it ain't going to happen. You're going to have to get in the word of God and you've got to do what Jesus Christ said. And then the joy of the Lord comes inside you. Then you begin to bear much fruit for without him, you can do nothing. And he's saying, listen, you need to be strong in the Lord, strong spiritually. And then fifthly, he says in verse 14, let all that you do be done with love, with agape Christian love. It is the love that Christ has for you that changed you. You, We should also live for others and do those same things. We ought to be motivated by the love that God has shown us. You know, um, uh, I, I've been off with different people and, and, and going to eat with them and, and people have made comments about, uh, maybe the service they were getting at, at a restaurant. And they said, well, I, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give them a good tip because they didn't keep my glass full of, of sweet tea or I, I didn't get a, you know, that refill of shrimp that I was wanting to get from that all you can eat shrimp deal, you know, and I didn't get enough shrimp there or, or they began to complain about this or taking too long. And, and you know what? They'll say, well, I just won't give them a good tip. I learned a long time ago, I'm not supposed to treat people the way they treat me. I treat people the way Christ has treated me. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son for me. Therefore, I, I, I don't treat people based on how they, I, I treat them the way Christ has treated me. And you know what? If I can't give a good tip, I just won't go there to eat. Is that okay? <laughs> Seek to be a blessing uh, to folks. I don't know who that was for, but you're welcome. Um, 
the, the point of the matter is that what we do because we love the Lord, not out of uh, the fact that we have to do it because we get to do it. It's like coming to church. Aren't you glad you got to, you get to come to church today? You didn't have to. Now I know some of y'all, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You were forced to come here. I get it. <laughs> but, but for those who are in love with Jesus Christ, you got to. Those who are in love with Christ, you get to come worship God. And that'll be why we serve him and worship him. Uh, All five of these particular things here are present imperatives in the Greek language. They are commands in the Greek language that are be habitual. Okay, He's not saying just be brave every now and then. He's not saying watch every now and then. He's not saying you need to do what you do because of the love of Christ. No, all the time. We are to do these things. All the time we are to be habitually doing And they are commands in the word of God. We're not to take time off church from serving and being aware and, and, and doing what God has called us to do. Again, we live in a day and time where there's a great temptation to water down our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced God is not concerned about our comfort. He's concerned about us taking up the cross and following him and being more and more like Jesus. So Paul, as he's wrapping up here, he talks about these principles to live by. But then next he moves on to people to have nearby. Notice these people that he wants nearby. Uh, It says here in verses 15 and 16, we see here there's some servants. Uh, Notice what it says here in verse 15. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that... It is the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This household uh, of Stephanus is a pretty important household in that folks knew them. They may have met in their house. The Bible says here that they are the first fruits of Achaia. Now, uh, first fruits is something we've already covered in this book. It's an Old Testament term that means you brought in the first to God out of the harvest and you were trusting God to bring the rest. Uh, Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the, the resurrection. He rose from the dead to live forevermore, but he's not the last one to do that. Those who belong to Christ will also. Here, he talks about how these were the first ones in that area to get saved, but they were not the last ones. And he says they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I, I love this verse. I love how he, he talks about them being devoted. That word devoted in the King James, I believe, is translated addicted. Uh, It it is a word that means to set or arrange something. To set or arrange something. When a person is addicted to something, they will change their life in order to get it. If it's alcohol, they'll do whatever they got to do to get that alcohol. If it's drugs, they'll do whatever they got to do to get those drugs. Here, these people, they had an addiction. And their addiction was not drugs or alcohol. It wasn't the, the sex that was going everywhere and the fornication that was all over that place. No, what, it, what, what got a hold of them was ministry to the saints. I just love that. These folks became overwhelmed with serving others. This is where we get our word for deacons. It refers to serving tables or serving someone else. The saints, the church of the living God there in Corinth had this family there who they were one of the first ones to get saved and they devoted themselves. They rearranged their lives in order to do that. The Greek tense here, this verb, it implies that it happened at one time in the past. And what that means is there was a time in their life when they made a decision from now on, we're going to serve the saints. They, they drew a line in the sand 
And we're not backing away from it. This is what God's called us to do. And that's what I'm going to do. What great folks to have around. Amen. I mean, they just couldn't. It wasn't about who served them. Uh, we have a mentality where uh, we need to have a church that just uh, entertains everybody. And, and what does your church have to offer me? Well, what do you have to offer the church? Isn't that a great question for someone who's a Christian? I mean, if a person's a Christian, they shouldn't be asking what does the church have to offer? What can I do? <laughs> a church is a place for you to come and serve and these, uh, this family, this family, uh, they devoted, they addicted themselves to this ministry. They were going to make sure that it happened. Verse 16, he says that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. You know, uh, he's saying in that, in this context, you're looking for someone to follow their leadership. Here's who you follow, the servants. Jesus came to, see, to, to serve, not to be served. Uh, the greatest way, the, the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who serve. And he says, you want to look who, who, who you need to follow, who you need to lead? That's who you need to submit to their authority, the ones who are the servants, who work and labor with us. Remember in Corinth, there were all kind of divisions earlier on we talked about, how they were chasing after diff- different ones. He said, who you need to follow are those who are servants, not the ones who are sitting back and needed to be patted on the back and need all the attention. You find the ones who serve, and then you get in there with them. These servants, but then secondly, the givers. Uh, look there in verse 17. The Bible says in verse 17, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus and Fortunaeus and Acacius for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. Not only does Paul talk about servants here, but he talks about givers. These, these men came to, to Paul and they ministered to him. They, they willingly, uh, obviously gave of themselves, gave them time, but also uh, supplied him with different things they would need. And as believers, we need to be servants and we need to be around servants. We need to be givers and be around givers, not takers. And here, these men were willing to change their schedule, do whatever they could to help meet those needs of the Apostle Paul. But then we also see uh, we need to be encouragers. Verse 18, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. When he talks about refreshing, it means to, to give someone a break so they could, they could rest or catch their breath. The Apostle Paul, uh, when he was at Ephesus, had a lot going on. We talked about that last week. And here, these men came and they refreshed his spirit. Uh, they, they revived him. And isn't it great to have people in your life that can encourage you? I tell you what, as, as a pastor, I'm, I'm a blessed man. I, uh, people encourage me all the time. They really do. I, it is amazing the number of times I will get a card in the mail or one sitting on my desk. And, and sometimes it's something really silly from my, my favorite church member. And, and other times it's a very serious note with scripture in it. But it's amazing how you can get those words of encouragement, how much they, they mean to you and how much they just get you going. As believers, one of the reasons why we meet here on Sunday is to encourage each other, to spur one another on to good works, not to tear people apart or to tear them down. And here Paul had people in his life that refreshed him, that were encouragers. But then there's also teachers. Look in verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Aquila and Priscilla, they made a connection with Paul in the city of Corinth earlier. In chapter 18 of the book of Acts, we read about that. 
But we also read about in, in chapter 18 that Apollos, who we mentioned last week, this great fiery preacher from Alexandria, he's a great speaker. And he knew a lot, but he wasn't fully uh, aware, fully taught in the gospel. And the Bible says that in Acts chapter 18, that Aquila and Priscilla, when they heard Apollos, they, they took him off to the side and helped explain to him better the gospel message. Now they took it to the side and they, and they taught him. But you know what's so great about how they did that? They didn't do it in front of everybody. They didn't try to be littling. They, they tried to take him off to the side and, and help him and, and teach him. What we see in Aquila and Priscilla are people, again, who are servants. They're, they're givers of themselves and they were constantly giving up their home here uh, for a church. But they were also encouragers, encouraging Apollos in his ministry and Paul. But also they would teach. And again, child of God, these are things that should be said about all of us as believers. If you're a child of the living God, it should be said about you that you're a servant. It should be said about us that we are givers. It should be said about us that we are encouragers. It should be said about us that we are teachers. And you say, hold up, Brother Robert, I can't teach a Sunday school class. Well, you may not be called to teach a Sunday school class. But the Bible has taught you to, told you to teach somebody. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said, listen, I'm having to go over the basics and fundamentals of the, cry, of, the, of the gospel message when you should be teaching others. Jesus Christ commanded us to teach others. We all can do that. Uh, here, uh, Paul is listing these people that he needed that we could uh, have nearby. These are people that we should be church. And isn't it a blessing when you have those types of people in your life? I tell you what, we go on here to we see this third uh, point or topic that he talks about here. He mentioned those principles to live by those people to have nearby. But then he has two proclamations to stand by. Before we get to those, notice he has a, a few little comments to say here. In verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now be real careful with that, okay? Now I know somebody here might want to try and get cute, okay? And just for the record, I'm staying away from Bo Tucker on the way out of here. Um, when he talks about a, a holy kiss in that society in that time, and even some societies and cultures today, they have a little uh, kiss on the cheek, you know, and that's how they greet people. Okay, we, we know that. Today, you can just give them a handshake, fist bump, maybe a little hug, okay? But we don't need to be doing all that kissing. Just that, that we just we just don't need to do that. If it's not your spouse or your youngin, let's just stay away from it. Amen. <laughs> he says, "The salutation with my own hand, Paul's." Now, typically, Paul would have someone write down his stuff. He would simply recite them what to write. Paul, remember, was a man who had been through a great deal. Uh, he probably couldn't walk upright, probably hurt, to, you know, all the time. Uh, he had one eye that was really messed up. Uh, Paul was beaten unmercifully. He, he, he looked pretty rough. I, I'm a big football fan, and, and sometimes you can watch the, the Hall of Fame uh, of the NFL, and they'll have some of those older players try to you go up there and they make speeches, and you see their fingers are going all kind of different directions, and, and they can't stand up straight, and they're having to walk with a limp, and their body has been just beaten down. 
Paul was beaten down in an incredible way. And he many times had somebody else actually do the writing for him. Probably made it a lot easier to read, I would imagine. But he, he makes these two proclamations here at the end. And I don't want you to miss this. In, in verse 22, he says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Uh, this is a strong word from Paul as he closes this letter. Um, when we see this reference to loving the Lord, that means to obey the Lord. There's no other way to interpret that when you look at Scripture as a whole. Uh, when we're studying the book of Deuteronomy on, on Sunday night, and what you see in the book of Deuteronomy, three words repeated over and over and over again. Uh, obey, fear, and love. The Lord. Those things are to be done. In the Old Testament, if you loved God, you obeyed him. If you didn't obey him, it just shows that you don't love him. You don't trust him. You don't believe he knows what he's talking about. That you know more. Thereby, you are in rebellion against the one who created you. There is no middle ground. If you love him, you'll obey him. Jesus Christ in the New Testament said the exact same thing. If you love Jesus, you will obey him. If you don't obey him, you don't love him. If you're sitting there today, and today's the only day you picked up your Bible, and you're not reading it, you're not studying what the Word says, you're not following what the Word says, don't say you love Jesus, because Jesus would call you a liar. I would not call you a liar, but Jesus would and John would. Because John says in his letter in 1 John 1, 6, he says, if you claim to have a relationship with God, but you walk in darkness, you lie. You lie. What you do gives evidence to what you love. I, I, this time of the year, there's all kinds of uh, anniversaries going. I've got an anniversary coming up this week. Praise the Lord. I remember mine. But you look on Facebook and there's all kinds of pictures. June's a big wedding month. And you, said, and you know what? You can look at people's homes and there's pictures. There's, there's evidence of a, of a wedding. You can see rings on fingers and there's evidence. There's, there's, there's a marriage certificates and all those things. All those things. But how do you know when you really love somebody? Does that person you love, do they need those things to know if you love them? They shouldn't have to look at a picture or a ring or a license. The way you treat them ought to let them know that you love them. Your children shouldn't have to wonder whether or not their parents love them. The actions by which they conduct themselves show that they love them. When it comes to following Christ, it's no different. Don't deceive yourself this morning. Don't walk out of here deceived thinking, oh, I love God. He knows I love him. He knows exactly what you love. You love you some you is what you love. Because you don't love him. If you loved him, you'd be in the word. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple and love anything more than me. That's what he said. Every time he got a crowd, what did he do? He'd draw a line in the sand. He said, if you can love your family more than me, you can't be my disciple. Make the choice. You can't love your life more than me and be my disciple. Because following Jesus Christ might just cost you everything. Amen. We heard that song about through the fire. Let me tell you, he'll be right there with you. Ushering you right on into glory. but He's not going to eliminate all kinds of problems for believers. We're going to have to go through them. And you sell out to Jesus Christ. Those things are going to happen. And if you don't love him, 
You won't, you won't do it. You'll back away. You'll turn the other way. And the Bible says here that you're doomed. He said, if they don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let them be accursed. That word accursed, it means someone given up for destruction. Someone under a curse. Matter of fact, it's used in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, when people began to distort the gospel message. And Paul said, if you have an angel or anybody else come and teach another gospel other than what I taught you, let them be accursed. Let them be doomed for destruction. You know what that means? That Jehovah's Witness and Mormons are following a, 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 a demonic message, not a gospel message. That's why the, the Catholic Church is following a demonic message and not one from God when they will listen to a man and not what God has said. Jesus Christ and the Word of God makes it very clear. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. You can't add anything to that. And anyone who adds anything to it preaches a distorted, perverted gospel. And Paul said, let them be accursed. If you're here today and you're lost, understand this. You are under a curse from God. And there's nothing I can do for you. Your only hope is to cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation now. To cry out to him before it's too late. Don't delay. Because without him, you are doomed. But for the child of God, I got good news for you. You are loved. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you may have gone through this week, and I mean, it seemed like all hell has brought loose on you. I want you to know somebody loves you. <laughs> somebody loves you. He says, oh, Lord, come. Who, who would say, oh, Lord, come? Only those who want to see Jesus. Only those who are saved. Have you catch yourself saying that a lot lately? And what's going on in our, in our, in our world today? He says in verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Oh, those who are saved, uh, we are loved. We have been loved by God. Jesus Christ has come and died and taken away all of our sin. And we've been saved. As Paul ends this letter, he ends with these two proclamations to stand by. Uh, why do we have the church today? Because there are people doomed all around us. That's why we have it. All the things that we do in this worship service, singing, praying, uh, fellowshipping, eating, all that stuff, we can do in heaven. The only thing we can't do in, in heaven that we can do here on this earth is reach lost people who are doomed. We are to reach them. We are to share with them the good news that they might be saved and be lifted from the curse and be born again and be saved. Today, what category are you in? Are you doomed? Be honest this morning. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? And you say, well, Brother Robert, I've, I've walked down the aisle. I've, I've, I've been baptized. I've, I've said the prayer and, I, and I've done all that stuff. I've got the baptism certificate. Is there any evidence that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life? Has there been a change? Because if there's not been a change and there's no evidence, James says your faith is dead. It will do you no good. Jesus Christ always changes me. Have you been changed? If you've not been changed, I plead with you. I plead with you today. As the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of your sin, that today you be born again. This is serious stuff, is it not, church? 
This week I was weeping in my bed thinking about lost people that I'd be preaching to today. I don't know what this week holds for you, but if you're here today and you don't know Christ, today is the day. Don't put it off. Today make that decision. Child of God, if you are saved, you are loved by God, we need to live like it. We need to be excited about it. We need to be watching, doing the things that he tells us to. We need to be the servants and the givers and the encouragers and the teachers that he's called us to be. God doesn't want us just sitting on a pew and sitting there with our hands folded saying, all right, bless me if you can. He's looking for people who are going to be disciples. And that's what we need to be. That's what this world needs. Amen. We as a church have been too silent for too long. We must be vocal. We must share this message. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand this. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit to God that you are a sinner. And you are. The Bible says that you're a sinner. And you know that. You know you've done wrong. The Bible says you've got to admit that and you've got to repent of it. It means turning away from your sin. Not just being sorry about it. You're going to make a change. You're going to turn away from it. And B, you must believe. You must believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God. Because only the Son of God could save you. You've got to believe that when he died on the cross at Calvary, he died for all of your sins. Remember, the gospel is in Christ alone. It's not Jesus and you. Oh, no, no. That's the distortion of the gospel. The gospel is in Christ alone. You're trusting alone in Jesus Christ. And you've got to believe that God raised him from the dead. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. But I've got good news for you. He came out alive. And we celebrate it every Easter, every Sunday. And we celebrate it every day. That Jesus Christ is alive. And if you will trust in those facts and those facts alone to save you, see, you must confess him as your Savior and your Lord. That means to say something audibly that you agree with. When you confess him as Savior and Lord, that means that you got you pray and ask Christ to come into your life to save you. But understand this, he is called Lord many more times than Savior. I mean, it's an abundance of times he is called Lord. That means the boss, ruler, master of our lives. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he truly the one calling the shots? If not, is today a day of to get saved? Or is today a day of repentance? Or is it a day of celebration? What is it for you? May it take place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the goodness and the grace that you show us. And oh God, I pray in this congregation today, and those who may be listening. Oh God, would your Holy Spirit convict them. If there's anybody here that's lost. Please convict them of their sin. Show them, Lord, the consequences of their sin. That separates them from you. And I pray that, God, you give them the courage, Lord, today to, to turn their life over to you before it's too late. Oh, God, I pray for every believer that if you've convicted us in the area here in this passage or some other area, Holy Spirit, you're not confined to what I want to preach, but whatever you convict them, us of, Lord, I pray that we respond and we repent of any sin that we need to repent of. But God, today, for those of us who are saved, may we not forget to rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us the way you do. I pray that, Lord, today, 
If someone needs to be saved, they would. I pray if they need to repent, they would. If they need to be encouraged, I pray they have been. But God, would you move in a mighty way in this invitation? May we move out of the way and you have your way in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today.